recite it together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We are following the lectionary again this morning. So the scripture passage is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning with verse 27. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to anyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, I need to begin with a word of warning for would-be preachers and also a thank you to David for preaching in here last week because David preached in here last week. I got to work a week ahead on my scripture study. And so last weekend I had this thought, Luke chapter 6, easy Golden rule, generosity, abundance, grace, I'm sold out. These are some of the best ideas of faith. However, it's my experience that the Holy Spirit will take my lofty ideas of mastery from up here and throw them into the dust of my path, kind of like a theology lab. A theology lab where I stumble and I trip and I fall into the dirt and I get up again. Yep, I was assigned a lab day this week by the Holy Spirit. And I metered out grace to people by the exact teaspoonful that they gave it to me. It wasn't pretty. And at the end of the day, I was dirty and I was tired and I was bruised and I fell into bed exhausted. That night, I dreamt, I dreamt that Keith was demanding a card that I was holding in my hand, and I'm not sure exactly what this card was, an insurance card or a library card. 
I don't know, maybe it was an Academy gift card because he just kept insisting that I give it to him. And so with some force, I swung the fist enclosed card toward him. Do you know where this is going? I hit him. In the night, while I was dreaming, I hit him. I was awakened in the night by Keith asking questions that I'm not going to repeat verbatim. But his first question started with what? And his last question ended with why? Later that day, I was reading the Bible and praying, as I do. And Keith walked by me and he winced and he said, You're not going to hit me again, are you? (laughs) I'm pretty sure I failed my lab this week. This stuff is hard. Truth be told, Jesus isn't teaching a crowd of brutes like myself. In this sermon on the plane, in Luke's gospel, he has gathered around him the 12 disciples and around them a larger group of followers and around the followers, a larger crowd of people who are interested in what he's saying, but they're not yet committed to the Jesus way. The group that gathers around Jesus in this Sermon on the Plain is not a group that is desiring to hold on to power. They have none of the power. This is a powerless crowd. They are not the victimizers of the world, but they are the victims of the world. Fred Craddock wrote, Jesus has no words of advice here for what to do after you hate or you curse or you abuse or you strike or you steal. It's foreign behavior to the group that he is teaching. These are people who know instead what it's like to be hated. They know what it's like to be cursed. They know what it's like to be abused and struck and stolen from. Jesus tells them, this group of powerless people, love your enemies. Do not reciprocate. Do not retaliate. And I think that's a tough message to sell to a crowd of victims. Here's better advice. You deserve justice, so we demand it. People get that. I get that. Daryl and Ryan have, have a teaching that involves a visual explaining the cultural context of the teaching, Turn the Other Cheek which you can find in the Gospels. You find it here in the Gospel of Luke in the Sermon on the Plain. You can find it in the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. And then you can find it in Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 30. In the ancient world, the left hand was profane, and so you wouldn't use it to touch or to strike another person. You'd only use your right hand to touch or to strike another person. And with your right hand, you would slap a servant, open palm, and you would strike with a closed fist, an equal. So if you were to open hand slap, I should probably be saying I, not you. I'm the one who's more likely to hit somebody here. (laughs) If I was like to open, if I went to open hand slap a person, right hand, my right hand, to their right cheek as they are standing across from me, the right side of their face, 
and they turn the other cheek to show me the left side of their face, then to hit them again, I have no other choice but to close my fist and to strike them as an equal. So while there's a certain vulnerability to turning the other cheek, because there's no retaliation when you turn the other cheek, I want you to see that turning the other cheek is a stance of courage. It levels the playing field. It is about equality. The person who turns the other cheek is saying, I am your equal. You will not treat me as less than or keep me in a lesser status. You will not put a name tag of heretic on me unless you wear the name tag of heretic also. You will not put a name tag of sinner on me unless you wear that name tag also. Loving enemies, praying for those who hate, giving a shirt to the one who takes our coat. You know, they're not... They're not reactions, but they are instead actions. We make a choice in the moment to act with compassion, a choice to give more than what has been taken, to offer more than what has been stolen. And in one sense, it's very difficult because it's not automatic. It is a choice that we make in the moment to turn toward mercy and compassion But on the other hand, it is also the easier route because it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what is said to us or what is done to us. Compassion is always the response. Compassion is always the answer. There's a story that N.T. Wright tells in his commentary about the Jewish scholar David Flusser. Flusser taught at Hebrew University in Jerusalem And he was an unusual Jewish scholar because he wrote about Jesus. And so there were some who didn't approve of his scholarship. And one of his students was given a low mark at another university simply for being associated with him. Then sometime later, a student of that particular professor came to Jerusalem to study with Flusser. And Flusser gave that student an A. When he was asked afterward why on earth he would do that, he responded, This I learned from your Jesus. This I learned from your Jesus. That's exactly right. It's who Jesus was. Giving of himself, forgiving others in life and as he died. Forgiving the criminals who were next to him on the cross. And when the soldiers took his shirt and his cloak, he gave his very life. Jesus was indeed a clear reflection of God, who, as the text says, this morning is merciful, is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's verse 35, my new life verse. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Eugene Peterson rewrites verse 35 this way. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. When I fell into bed at the end of my no-good, very-bad day this week, (laughs) 
I was much helped by a part of the Christian spiritual practice of examine, which is just a reflection on the day where you answer the question, who is God? God is graceful. Well, where was God's grace? Where was God's beauty today? God's beauty was in the full moon that was outside of my window and kind friends that had stood with me during the day and a husband that maintains a good sense of humor. Even when I'm at my worst, God is gracious, God is beautiful, God is generous. Fred Craddock preached that these particular verses of scripture sound sounded to him like a boyhood memory that he had. Craddock grew up in West Tennessee, and he had a well in his backyard. So did his next-door neighbors, but theirs was uh, more shallow. So sometimes the neighbor would come over with a bucket to ask for water from the Craddock's well when their well was dry, and so Craddock said that his father would pick up a stone when the neighbor came over, rub the dirt off of it as best as he could, and then drop it into the well. That's how you could tell how much water was there. If there was a shallow, cheap splish, his father would say, well, we're going to have to divide it. It looks like we'll have something to drink. Maybe we can wash our hands, but there'll be no, no baths tonight. But when he dropped the rock in the well and it went kerplunk, he would say, well, take all you want. Take all you want. Even have enough for a bath. It's the kerplunk of grace that we hear in Jesus' words in the sixth chapter of Luke. That there's enough grace to bathe in it. There's more than enough to go around. It's in the way that God deals with me. It's in the way that God deals with you. It's in the way that God works creatively and graciously in the world. I'm afraid more often than not, I like my little G God who looks an awful lot like Judge Judy. She calls a spade a spade and she is offended by an array of bad behaviors like manipulation and heresy and bullying. Sometimes I call on my little G, God, Judge Judy too much. James Mishner wrote a book years ago called The Source. It's a novel that imagines what life was like for the people of God over thousands of years. In a chapter about a family a few millennia ago, it's this particular family's turn to offer the child sacrifice for their community And as the father leaves the home with the son, the mother is grieving. And she says, if he had a different God, he'd be a different person. There is a different God. There is a bigger God. A God that's better than vindictive and judgmental. A God that is merciful, that is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Last weekend, I listened to an interview with uh, neuroscientist Richard Davidson. Richard Davidson began this interview by talking about the relatively recent discovery of neuroplasticity. 
It's a discovery that's happened in your lifetime and my lifetime. And neuroplasticity is the fact that our brains form and can change over the course of our lives because of what we practice. It is the idea, it is the fact that we become what we practice. Davidson believes that from birth we are hardwired for compassion like we're hardwired for language. So we automatically pick it up, but we have to be surrounded by it to pick it up. We have to be exposed to it. Compassion has to be nurtured into us in community. And so the greater hope is that over the course of our lifetimes, we can continue to grow and to form into this kindness, into compassion, no matter the childhoods that we've had. I will always tell you that community and relationship is imperative to spiritual growth. It's why I'm still here. This passage of scripture, this passage that we're looking at this morning, gives us the key to growing in compassion and kindness in community. Three times in verses 32 through 34, the question is asked, what credit is that to you? What credit is that to you? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? If you lend to those from whom you will receive, what credit is that to you? The Greek word for credit here is charis, which can also be translated grace. So when you lend to those who won't pay you back, that's grace to you. When you do good to those who are terrible to you, that is grace on you. When you love those who hate you, friends, that is grace in you. Davidson said, and this is the best, I want you to see this quote, the mechanisms in the brain that allow for adversity to get under our skin are the same mechanisms that allow for awakening, that enable awakening. This means it's a blessing to be bothered. (laughs) This means it's a good thing when we're irritated to rejoice when adversity is under your skin because awakening is coming. Growth is on its way. We can grow in grace and compassion and generosity just as our Father in heaven is merciful to all. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we bless and we thank you for community and relationship where we can nurture one another in compassion and grow in that compassion, grow in grace even when others hate, curse, or steal from us. Lord, would you pour out your grace on us here and as we work and live in your world, we want to be more like you. We want to destroy the little g-gods that look just exactly like us. So would you show us your grace and your mercy. Reveal to us all the beauty of this day, every hour of this day, that we might claim your mercy as our own identity. We ask this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen.